0: We are in a section of 1st Corinthians, the letter that we've been doing in our sermon series, and it's dealing with uh, a not contemporary issue, meat that has been sacrificed to idols. As I said last week, that probably doesn't you know, rank in the top 10 list of the most important considerations in your life right now. But, you know, the problem Paul is facing is some of the Christians in the city of Corinth maintained that they had the right to eat anything that they wanted to eat. And... Paul agrees I mean he believes that Christians shouldn't worry if the meat has you know been previously used in a pagan sacrifice like everyone every Christian you know it's their right to eat steak without any you know questions about conscience but he goes on to explain there are occasions when the best thing to do is actually not to act on your rights America, you know, rights, that's a individual rights is a a very important consideration for us, but he says, you know, sometimes you should lay your rights down, and here's how he makes the point. For the first 18 verses of chapter 9, which I'm I'm not going to read, we'll skip over, he, he uses himself as an example, and he says, you know, I have a right as an apostle to get paid for my services, and yet I haven't exercised my rights To collect money for my service. He says in verse 12, you know, we haven't made use of this right. Instead, we put up with everything so as to place no obstacle in the way of the Messiah of Christ's gospel. Why was it that Paul, why did he refuse to accept pay? Well, he he didn't want to be basically part of what they called a a patron-client relationship. You know, he worked on his own, worked as a tin maker because he didn't want to be considered an employee of the rich people in the church to come under their patronage he didn't want so that they could claim that you know they owned him they had bought him or they had anyway bought his message it was very important to him to preach the gospel free of charge and the result was that he was disparaged for this. I mean, they said things like, well, you know, he must not be a real apostle if he doesn't collect money. Or, you know, on top of that, he works with his own hands for a living. How uncouth. I mean, in the ancient world, manual labor was actually considered something degrading. It was it was slave work. Um, but Paul was adamant. He would announce the gospel for free to make sure that the gospel remained free. <laughs> remain free from you know the control of others which leads us to verses 19 through 27 and this ends up being one of maybe possibly the most challenging part of the letter itself we've talked about issues related to sex we've talked about issues related to you know divisions and wisdom and but here it's so challenging because of his concept of, of what What is a truly free human being? What is a free life? What does freedom look like in the life of a Christian? And he's going to say it it means, of course, releasing your own rights for the sake of others. Verse 19, he goes, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. The opening line of the section is a paradox, isn't it? He says, I'm free from everything. I'm absolutely entirely free, which means that I'm now free to be a slave of everyone. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, Like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Verse 24, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air, shadow boxing. Instead, I discipline my body And I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Um, Let's pray again. Our Father in heaven, um, grant us ears that truly hear you. uh, Not just the words that are spoken from my lips or the words on the page, um, but the unspoken heart of the Holy Spirit behind those words. Lord, selfishness just comes naturally to us. Protecting and standing upon our rights comes naturally to us. Uh, living almost exclusively for our own comforts comes naturally to us. And that's why we need you know, superma- supernatural inner transformation to take place. And, and so please do that. Teach us that in relinquishing our rights, we actually walk in the pathway of Jesus who, being in the very form of God, did not exercise um, those rights, but walked in the way of the cross, which is the way of true life. And we pray that we would do the same. In Jesus' name, we ask you these things. Amen. It's easy to read a passage like this and dismiss it out out of hand. Uh, Along these lines, uh, you know, Paul was a missionary. Paul was you know, a pastor, he had a unique calling from God, uh, he was uniquely uh, appointed by God to take the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had never heard that news before, and uh, that was him, and that was then, and I'm not that. <laughs> we say that, I'm, I'm definitely not that. I mean, this is a good idea for maybe pastors or, or missionaries, for Christian clergy, but not me, and on one level, it's fine to say that, and because, you know, you can't always just look at the life of Jesus or look at the life of Paul and say, well, they did it, so I should do it. They said it, so I should say it. You can't always look and say, what would Jesus do and think that you are uniquely supposed to do the exact same thing. Like, application uh, is more complicated, more nuanced than that. But this is one of those instances where clearly he He wants us to imitate him. Uh, He he wants us to follow him. He he really wants us, he wants you, as a free man or woman, to become a slave of, of all. Soak in those words for just a minute. He wants you to become a slave of all, to happily curtail your freedom and your comfort and your rights so that your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers might experience the life of Christ. Um, yeah, I don't think that there's any you know, picture or uh, plaque on the walls of any one of our houses that, speak the, that has these words inscribed on it, free from everything, enslaved to everyone. Like, we don't think that. You know, it's clearly, it's not... Our mindset, you know, most of us—I mean, if we're being honest, we're just trying to survive. <laughs> we're, we're trying trying to have a little bit of personal happiness without fe- feeling too miserable and depressed. Um, if we're a slave to anything, we're a slave to um, our own desires, or we're a slave to our own creature comforts. Of course, you know, it would take it would take a tremendous amount of work for us to alter our mindset, to believe that, that I am a slave to all. And what does that even mean anyways? Well, in verses 20 and tw- through 23, Paul describes what it meant for him. He describes the ways that he altered his freedoms for the sake of uh, everyone else. And so in verse 20, he starts out by saying uh, to the Jews, I became a Jew, like a Jew, to win Jews. So presumably, um, it meant that, you know, he continued to go to the synagogue, synagogue and he take part in the prayers and the liturgy of the synagogue so that he could you know, say, hey, these pe- passages of scripture actually point to Jesus and he could, it would be an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And they disciplined him for it. Most Christians who know the Bible really well don't know this fact. In 2 Corinthians um, Later in the second letter to Corinthians, second Corinthians, he says that he was uh, beaten with rods three times. Well, if you were part of a synagogue and you disobeyed the synagogue leaders, the form of discipline in severe cases of uh, disobedience would be in the form of being beaten by with rods. Now, they had no right to beat someone outside of their jurisdiction, but they had every right to beat a, a, a compliant you know, Jew who was in the synagogue. And so for Paul to be, have been beaten three times by rods, it says that he, he voluntarily submitted to that. He kept going to the synagogue and accepting their punishment. To the Jews, he became like a Jew. Verse 20 goes on. Uh, to those under the law like one under the law though I am myself not under the law, to win those under the law. Now, presumably, what he means here is that he continued to observe Jewish customs, namely uh, kosher laws and the Sabbath laws. Uh, even though he didn't think that, the, that he, they were binding on him, he was not under those laws any longer. Nevertheless, he kept kosher and he kept a Sabbath for the sake of those who, who, who that was important to. Verse 22 to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. You know, if people had weak consciences like we talked about last week, he would happily go along with their scruples and, and the dictates of their weak conscience as far as he could. And then we come to the, the famous verse that you may have heard before, that I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some why does a perfectly free man become a slave to every other human being? It's because, it's because he might save some. <laughs> like His rights and his freedoms matter very little to him compared to you know, giving the gift, honestly, the gift of life to his friends, to his neighbors, to his colleagues, to his countrymen. You know, sometimes that statement, all things to all people, gets misunderstood as though he was, Paul was just like merely pragmatic. He was a, a mere pragmatist, a, a spin doctor, twisting his message this way and that to suit different audiences. But that's not what he's saying. Like the message of the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that message remains constant. It, but it is the messenger who must swallow his pride, who must give up his rights Who must change his freedom into slavery for for the sake of those receiving the message? And so that's what he he changes. How would you how would you begin to take steps in that direction if you wanted to? Well, the second half of this of the uh, the passage. He uses a couple of athletic metaphors. One, he speaks about shadow boxing, the sport of boxing. The the predominant metaphor he uses is a long-distance race, a long-distance runner. And his main point is that, I mean, if you're going to run, if you're going to compete, it takes a great deal of discipline. Verse 25, now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. And he's suggesting that, he's suggesting by saying this, the Christian life, uh, to be an outward facing, not, not live for myself, but live for other people, that kind of Christian life is a struggle. It's always going to be a struggle, and it's going to require tremendous discipline. You know, the discipline of an athlete, you know, uh, an athlete is going to say, well, boy, um, that looks like a delicious dessert after dinner, but I can't eat it. <laughs> you know, I want to, but I can't somebody will invite them to come to the late night party this evening we're going to have a great time the athlete's going to say nope I got practice early in the morning I've got to be in bed by 10 there there is this training that we have to do with ourselves to curb our natural impulse and what is our most natural impulse what is the the one thing that we have to gain self-mastery over in the words of uh, St. Augustine, he famously said, forgive me for my bad Latin here, but uh, homo incurvatus in se, which means sin is the human being curved in on itself. You know? That's what we have to gain mastery over. I mean, what is Augustine really saying? He's saying that every day, every hour, when we interact with other human beings, our natural operating system is your life and your resources to serve me, yeah. What we do is so many times in so many ways, we place ourselves at the very center of it. And we'll say like, yeah, I'll get into this relationship as long as it, as long as it benefits me. And I will do this or I will do that so long as it benefits me. You've know, you probably seen the M. Night Shyamalan um, famous movie, The Sixth Sense. Uh, I hope you have. Um, Bruce Willis plays a child psychologist who treats a boy who sees dead people. And what you don't get until the end of the movie is that, this is a spoiler alert, the movie's been out for a long time, so if you don't want to ruin, put your fingers in your ear. You don't get until the end of the movie. It turns out that Bruce Willis is one of the dead people, and he doesn't realize it. And that's why the boy can see him. And so we get this, in the movie, this psychologically thrilling question posed, is it possible to be deceased and not know it yourself? And the answer that Shyamalan gives is, is, is yes. Is it, possible, is it possible to be curved in on yourself and not know it? <laughs> and then the answer of, of humanity is is Yes. Yes, absolutely I mean we can resist what paul says in this passage and we can say no, that's not me that he's describing I don't fit the profile. I I I will help a little lady walk across the street, you know, but You know, come on. I'm not naturally selfish the real you the primeval primeval self uh, is, a, is always selfish to the core. Because none of us look at every situation and ask the question, how do I give my life and my resources for the benefit of the person that's standing in front of me? Always, always, always. My life and my resources given to serve you. Um, you're only going to learn that through, through hard training yeah, it's a very long and difficult road of, of saying, learning how to say no to yourself and, and yes to, to others, which leads us really to the, the second paradox. I mentioned the first paradox of being slave, um, free, free of anything but slave to everyone. The, the second paradox of the Christian life is that really, you are most free when you are serving other people. You are the most free when you are restricting your own freedom and doing things that you don't naturally want to do for the sake of serving others. That is a message I think we'd agree that, like, who in our society is is teaching that? Who's, who is telling, you know, high schoolers that or college students that or anyone that? And the answer is no one is. No one is sharing that message. I mean, increasingly, For us the pathway to happiness is is the pathway of absolute freedom It's basically the pathway of um, no boundaries Chart your own path you you do you That's what we're taught time and again Ironically, you know All of the happiness books and articles that are out there even secular sources They all tell you that like one of the keys if not the key to human happiness is is what it's It's relationships, right? You know, you must have healthy relationships. It's not money. It's not career advancement. The common denominator is friendships with people who know you and care about you. And the only way you get that is is through sacrifices. You don't get that through absolute freedom. You never get that like you do you. We're most free when we are most serving. And so... A couple of scattershot practical application points. I'm almost done. Number one, here would be my advice to you: that when you're feeling stuck, or you're feeling just low and blah and depressed, as we most of us do, (laughs) one of the best things you can do in that moment is just find a kindness to act in Christ's name to others. Do a kindness in Christ's name. Um, to others. When I am black, what I know is that that's the last thing I want to do. You know, I curve in on myself. I, I retreat into further solitude. I don't want to see a human being. <laughs> I want nothing to do with people. Um, what I need in those moments is to push back against the inward curvature and and to push out with the love of Christ. Number two, Another thing I think would be really helpful is practice giving up your freedom in little ways that no one else can see. The, the small daily choices to put the interests of others before your own um, is, is vital training in little ways that you know no one else can see. And what that might involve is, man, is manning a booth at the Hirsch Fall Festival on Friday, <laughs> late afternoon or evening, or, or going to pant, uh, paint paint grandma doris's house when we as a church as reconciled church offer opportunities of service like that look i'm under no illusions that we're doing anything grand that that this is somehow like heroic sacrifice that we're making um, and that we're making a world of difference you know we don't we don't do it for that reason we do it why we do it because when you are there you never know what doors Christ will open up as a result of you being there. You know, that you could never walk through if you were on your couch. And we do it because of that second piece of advice. That we need to train ourselves in the way of Jesus by by taking steps of sacrifice for others. And uh, please, 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 don't come because. I, you felt guilted in the coming because there are a million different ways, a hundred million different ways that you can daily practice giving up your freedoms for th- that no one else um, can see. Do that, um, but just consider like that, that. This is one of the reasons why um, I have us do things like you know paint <laughs> on a Saturday. Well, in conclusion, let me finish the sermon by looking again at the athletic metaphor in verse twenty four. Paul writes, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Uh, run in such a way to win the prize. He's, you know, drawing upon probably the Olympic Games, right? You, you go into strict training in order to win. There's a, that's a reason you do it. It's to win a, a gold medal or a championship trophy. Back then, I, I believe, didn't they get like a, a laurel wreath, or a, a wreath or around the head? It served as their crown of glory, their crown of victory. They get a a wreath that gathers dust and eventually, you know, withers away into nothing. And he contrasts that with the actual crown that you, Christian, will receive. It's offered to you, verse 25. Now, everyone who competes, exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But here it is. But we do these things in order to inherit an imperishable crown. Like, what is that crown? As the rest of the letter goes on to show, you know, Paul has his sights set on resurrection. You know, nothing less than the renewal of creation. Nothing less than the abolition of death itself. nothing, Nothing less than unending relationships of love together, you know, when God makes the whole world new. Is that the crown or is is there something more to the crown because you know that's a whole lot to go into a single crown isn't it and i think it gives us a hint to that there may actually be some some crown in heaven you say well that's not much of a motivation for me i don't i don't want to wear a crown <laughs> well you might want to wear this crown he, here's what he said about it in philippians chapter 4 verse 1 at the end of his letter to this church uh, in greece He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. You know, it sounds like the crown is a crown of people, doesn't it? The crown that he thought he would receive is not a crown that perches on his head, but it's a crown that surrounds him in the the new world, the new heavens and the new earth, the imperishable lives of those who accompany him into God's new redeemed world with Jesus. And so here's what what he must be saying to us. He's saying, you know, I have the blessings of the gospel. Yes, and I can enjoy that, but it's the passion of my life not to enjoy those blessings alone. It's the passion of my heart to have other people see the beauty of Christ as I see it. And it is also the passion of my life not to have anything in my life in the way uh, in which I live and act that would make it possible for other people to miss the beauty of God. You know, he subordinated everything else for that one holy passion. Um, And he did so, of course, because Jesus did that for us. You know, runners run, run in such a way as to win the prize. Jesus Christ was a runner too. Uh, Jesus, you know, you could say he, he ran out of heaven. He ran to earth. He, he ran the race on earth as a human being. He ran on earth all the way to the cross. He endured all of the affliction, and he never, he never gave up. And the author of Hebrews says, it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is that? What was that joy? What was that prize? You know, what joy did Jesus have Have to come to earth to win that he didn't already have in heaven? Did he come um, for the, 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 the prize of the glory of God the Father? Well, he already had that, didn't he, in heaven? Was he, was he trying to love the Father for the Father's love? Yes, but he, um, when he was on earth, he loved the Father. He already had that, though, before. What prize did Jesus not have that he could only win if he came to earth and ran the race and went to the cross? And the answer to that question is, of course, us, you and me. Like in, in some wonderful, surprising twist of it all, you know, Jesus wears a crown of thorns that is later replaced with a, a royal diadem. We sometimes sing about it in our hymns, But perhaps the greatest crown of all is the crown of his people that will encircle him. Um, The crown of his people, the most precious thing to him, the highest passion of his heart was us. And once you know that deeply, once you know that in your heart of hearts, um, then you will make it your passion to see to it that others uh, are part of your crown too. Amen.